The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with author Vicki Larson. To, because women overwhelmingly uh, live in poverty as they age. And I was on that trajectory, even though I've had a career I did what a lot of women did, which is when I had young children, I worked part-time or some women stopped working totally. And I never really thought very much about what that, how that would impact me. And then, of course, I got divorced at midlife. And then all of a sudden, I realized a lot of the ways I approached money and the way I was not prepared to fully support myself despite working full time. And so that was like the real, you know, come to Jesus moment for me. And then when I started to do the research, uh, it's a, it's very enlightened. It's a very hard thing for a lot of women. This week, we're going to hear again from Vicki Larson, we heard her for the first time on season one, Living Apart Together. And that was one of the most popular episodes on season one. So on this interview, Vicki and I discuss what, how she came about writing this incredible book and researching why women are not too old for that. And I was actually interviewed on page 43. She got me into the book about sexuality. We are not too old for sex. So let's hear it from Vicki Larson. Welcome back to the Open Nesters podcast, Vicki Larson. This is a treat to be able to revisit the amazing work you're doing in, in your research as a researcher and an incredible writer. So welcome back. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I, I truly appreciate it. Well, and, and we'll talk about that you're actually already deep in your, in your other next book that we just discussed. But right now and today, we'll be discussing the release of Not Too Old for That which is about how women are changing the story of aging, which is such a big part of our podcast, to really be redefining and authoring our lives, self-authoring our lives. And I love that you're deep in research and deep in science and deep in the way it works for us personally and the experiences. So I, that's what I was hoping we'll, you know, we'll be able to talk about. What, and, and what I didn't realize reading the book is that, that we are going to be in 2030, older people will outnumber kids and certainly because women are living longer we're going to be a big power and we are a power in the world yeah it's pretty amazing when you think about it i mean you know that old um, lesbian slogan the future is female is actually really coming true and um and and so you know part of the reason of, of writing this new book was to think about well what do we want that world to look like when there will be so many older women. There's a lot of issues that come up with being an older woman. Some are stereotypes and others are real realities. Uh, I was hopeful that uh, we could start that conversation now of thinking, what is that world going to look like? What would we like it to look like? And what do we need to think about now to have that kind of world that we want to have. Absolutely. So what would you say is your personal takeaway from all the research that you've done and how that's impacted you? And you and you also, I will tell our guest, Vicky's been in an earlier interview. She's an open nester. She's been living apart together as this movement, which is her next book that we'll get to. But right now, the, how the research for this book, how, how that impacted you personally? Well, you know, the funny thing is, so when I first started thinking of this book, I looked at a lot of the stereotypes that I, as an older woman, was should be living. You know, that I was going to be asexual and invisible and undesirable and all of those horrible things. And I, none of that really happened. And, um, and, and it didn't happen to my friends who were finding love later in life, getting married later in life, having wonderful sex lives. And I thought like, well, wait a minute, what kind of BS is this? And um, <laughs> and so just because we were feeling it and experience, it didn't mean that, that, that this was some universal thing. So that's really why I wanted to do some of the science behind that. 
what I found was that a lot of the narratives around getting older, uh, aging as a woman are actually harmful to us because we may like we never hear anything positive about middle age and getting older. Everything is just negative. And so we we it, of course women are going to fear getting older because what, what what do you have to look forward to? That harms us in a lot of ways because we make decisions like like beauty decisions like oh I I have to remain youthful. So it uses a lot of you know then our money and time and resources. But I mean I mean, for me, really, one of the hardest chapters to write and one of the biggest thing was, was to look at my financial situation to, because women overwhelmingly uh, live in poverty as they age. And I was on that trajectory, even though I've had a career, I did what a lot of women did, which is when I had young children, I worked part time or some women stopped working totally. And I never really thought very much about what that how that would impact me. And then of course I got divorced at midlife. And then all of a sudden I realized a lot of the ways I approached money and the way I was not prepared to fully support myself despite working full time. And so that was like the real, you know, come to Jesus moment for me. And then when I started to do the research, uh, it's a, it's very enlightened. It's a very hard thing for a lot of women. It's a big thing. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily a stereotype about women. It's just that women were kept from their money for a long time. It wasn't really until the 70s that you get a credit card in your own name um, without a man signing for it. So this is in my lifetime, you know, and that's not true for um, younger women now. However, societally, we still think of the man as the breadwinner. He's not always. um, And that's only for heterosexuals. And and so I really, um, for me personally, the biggest takeaway in my in doing the research for my book was the whole chapter on um, financial health. Okay, so I wanted to hear how that helped you personally shift and and any of the advice that you think came out of that, because there are so many subjects on this book I want to talk about our internal prejudice and friendship. Yeah. Well, like a, like a lot of women, um, I let my former husband be in charge of all the financial stuff. Now, he was a journalist. I was a journalist. So just equal poor right there, but not too poor because he was able to buy the house that I bought from him um, when we split uh, on a journalist salary. Right. Which you could not do where I live now at all. Um, So I let him make the financial decisions. I did not think too much about that. I was a hippie growing up. I didn't really care about money. Didn't make a difference to me. Um, And so um, a lot of women still do let their like they don't really even know their family's financial health. They don't know all their investments. And then something happens. Maybe they get divorced in midlife or maybe their partner dies and they don't even know the what of the what. So that is really amazing that even today, a lot of young women, a lot of millennials and Gen Xers are still not really taking charge of their own financial health or at least understanding uh, what what what's happening in their family's health, and also even single gals. I have a friend. I have sons, but I have friends who have daughters, and I would say, well, you know, does such and such know? You know, how is she with money? And she goes, oh no, she's great. She's saving. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't mean saving. Women save. Is she investing? And and my friend said, well, I don't even know that because she has a financial advisor. And I'm like, well, maybe that's something you should learn together because. Just because you don't understand it, she needs to know it because she's a single woman and maybe she's going to be single all her life happily or by choice or chance. And she, if we want to avoid, you know, younger women aging into poverty, they need to learn. So what did you uh, do to shift yourself? You said that was one of your wake up. (laughs) Okay. Well, what I did was I got lucky, if you want to call the death of my parents lucky. So- when my former husband and I split, he did not want this house. I didn't want it either. It's built in 1945. It was built as a duplex to convert it to a triplex. So we always had rental income. But I wanted someone to live in it just so that the kids could finish their high school. And he didn't want it. He wanted to pull his money out. So I said, okay, I, I, 
I said, I'll just get a five-year interest-only loan, never thinking I'm going to need the house past five years. And because I had a rental, I could swing it. Then the recession hit, which was actually the best thing in the world for me. I know that sounds horrible and I feel very bad because some people have still not recouped from that, but I had a flexible, it, the, the, the rate changed every year and the rate kept going down and down. So it cost me less and less. Like I couldn't even rent a two bedroom in my area for what I was paying for my house. So I got lucky in that. That said, I had no money whatsoever to fix anything. And, you know, if you have a house that's built in 1945, things are really falling apart. And then my parents died and they left me a small inheritance, but more money than I ever had. So when we talk about generational wealth, like especially with um, black people and people of color and how the black people were redlined or, you know, and they couldn't buy and people go, yeah, but, you know, we don't have that anymore. I'm like, yeah, we don't, but you don't understand what that means for them. Right. They, That's right? the generations of, of, of marginalization and coming out of slavery, of being enslaved in Absolutely. And in my life, generational wealth is what saved my butt. Yeah. Because when I was able, so as soon as I inherited the money, and because I'd never thought about finances, I spoke to a financial advisor which was wise. It's it's money to do that, but I only really needed to go to her once. And I wanted a woman because I wanted a woman who would, I wanted someone who would understand a woman's perspective. And I know that it's not that a man can't, but I I just wanted a woman's perspective. And we talked through a lot of scenarios and how to invest that money. Because I, as a boomer, I mean, my dad was a big investor, and that's what paid for my sisters in my college and gave us a very comfortable life, even though my parents' products of the Depression and the Holocaust um, were like they paid cash for everything. They were not extravagant, although my mom did like some very nice things. I'll put it out there for her. <laughs> but but my, did my dad teach his daughters how to invest in the stock market? No, because his feeling was, well, you're just going to get married and your husbands will take care of that. Wrong, dad. Wrong. <laughs> really wrong. That's, that's, so that is, really- that's, the, that's what you're remodeling. Thank you. I, I love that. I, yes. And I don't want to gloss over what you did say about what I know is, is the colonization of America and, and the marginalization of black people. And there's an amazing book. It's an older book by Elizabeth White. It's 55 Underemployed and, and Faking It. And mm. about women in particular, and especially women of color, and this is really an issue and, and things that we should all grapple with and not just skirt over because we're lucky. So I am glad that you brought it up because I think it's an important thing and part of our society and our awareness and our modeling to, to be the kind of people that are grappling with this and seeing what we can do to really dismantle some of our, the narrative and help our next generation. And then the- yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, there are some very specific issues related to black women and money um, because there's a, you know, among the horrible stereotypes is, you know, the matriarch. And, and, you know, actually that can be a very proud thing to be the strong person, but it also can not only interfere with their sexuality, which I address in the book, but also their financial, if they're helping people and not also making sure that they're taking care of themselves too, and making sure that they are doing the right things to prepare for their own financial health as their age. So lots of, lots of things to think about. So then I had this money and then I had to learn how to care for it and invest it, which I did. And one thing I quote, I think it's Farouche Tarabi. She is a podcaster And she said something that really resonated with me. She said, no one is going to care more about your money than you. Nobody. And that was like, you're right. And I read a book. It's by Kate Levinson. And it's it's in the book. And it's about women's emotional relationship with money. And I looked at mine. Because we. I didn't even know I had one, but I did. So I'm the kind like who would, you know, I, 
prided myself in never paying full price for anything. Like I'd go to the TJ Maxx or the Ross or the Marshalls. And if I found like a very nice designer thing, well-made from Italy or something, and it was discounted, it's like, great. And so I like have all of these, or like Lomans when Loman was around. And so then the pandemic hit and I have this closet full of gorgeous clothes and shoes, so many shoes that I will never wear again. And I started to think like, okay, so yeah, all of that was bought on discount. But if, if I, first of all, it's way too much. And secondly, what if I like save that money or invest that money and actually paid full price for something I really loved and took care of it and just used that and had less things, but better quality things and saved and all that money would go into investment. So I, that was a very humbling moment for me. I think a lot of people during the pandemic realized how much we have and how little we need. At least it hit me that way. I really think you're talking to me too right now. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was embarrassed. And then I vowed that I would do things differently. I'm not really spending money on stuff anymore. I don't want a lot of stuff. I want to experience things. I want to, you know, take trips safely, still in a pandemic, go and do the things that I like to do and maybe not buy the cheapest thing on the menu and eat the thing that I really want to have because I'd rather have that than more clothes or more shoes. I have enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, as we get older, I think that's that helps me make a great transition to kind of addressing our internal prejudice of of the way we've seen ourselves getting older in a in a negative way rather than embracing the wisdom of what we can learn not just financially but in relationship, in friendship, in loving our bodies, in accepting who we are so we can celebrate with jubilation rather than this word in America which is retirement like in Spanish they call it jubilación. Like we don't even have to retire anyway. So why are we calling it? Why do we, why have we deprogrammed ourselves and women, especially? I mean, we know that women feel used up. And as you said at the beginning, invisible and all the amazing prejudices. And, and I love in your book that you even research women that are from every kind of, they have, they've been unaccepted. The LGBTQA community, especially when, when we were younger and the, marginalized black and BIPOC communities that have really suffered. So the fact that we are now um, celebrating in as hard as it is while accepting that we've come from this, a need to be resilient, that we can actually learn from some of those communities, our resilience, and then our celebration of what we have with preciousness. And so you, you, that's what you made me think of that when you said this big purchase is more precious to me. And yeah. so have that embrace of preciousness. Yeah, yeah, I think is important and something that often does, but doesn't always happen as we get older, is that we do have more of a sense of, of, of gratitude. So I turned 66 this year. The, the fact that I'm like so much closer to 70, which seems like a big age, And then after 70 comes 80, which seems like a real big age. I think of how lucky I am to be alive. I think about my future self and what do I want to do now to make sure that that older Vicky is going to live her best life. It is my wish for for women who are reading the book to not fear that older woman, but to want to do all of the things that they can to give her the best life possible, to be kind of like, Lady Gaga was to Liza Minnelli at the Academy Awards this year. She leaned down to her and she said, I got you. Like, I'm looking. Yeah. And I want us to do that to ourselves. Like, oh, older Vicky, you still want to hike and you still want to do all of these things when you're older. So I want to make sure that one, I'm going to do whatever I can right now to make sure that you can do that. And also, I want to make the world better for other women as they age, to be able to live their good life. Um, because we we live longer and longer, you know, and um, certainly during COVID, when every it, it, life seems so precious and random, like very healthy people dying, 
or very healthy people getting long COVID and not being able to do the things, uh, you go, okay, I can't take life for granted anymore. And that every day is a gift, which sounds, I know, so cliche. I know it sounds cliche, but it truly is a gift, I think. And to appreciate that and to do whatever you can to care, take care of yourself uh, and to help, to other, help others. Welcome to the Explore More section of our podcast. I encourage you to listen to episode number 16 by Vicki Larson, Living Apart Together. And Vicki also discussed the Dating While Gray podcast, which I encourage you also to check out. Please check out our resource page and our many episodes on aging. Well, it's expanding that heart muscle, you know, which is a practice yes. that unfortunately in this in this world, we've been taught mostly to expand our minds. And I believe that what you're talking about and the leaning down, not even leaning down, but leaning into circles of people that are like-minded so that we don't feel like we have to always be with older people. I think it's Ashton Applewhite in her book, This Chair Rocks, talks about the idea, and she's one of our podcast guests, too, the, this aging thing, how do, how do we become more pro-age so that we could say, age along with us, like make it beautiful with younger people because we celebrate the things we have in common. I don't have to be friends with someone because they're my age. I want to be friendly with them because we celebrate life in the same way and I, and we can, and I can model things for them and I can learn things from them. Yes. And I love that. And I, you know, I do have, um, some younger gals who, you know, I call them like my daughters from another mother. Um, and I love that. And I have some older friends too, Makes because sense. that matters too. Yes. Um, because I'm younger to them. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. We have both and, those. And I think, you know, rather than look at the age of someone, let's look at, you know, what are we sharing in, in, in common and, and what, what do we both enjoy and what, can we, yes, learn from each other? What can we share with each other? How can we show up for each other? And not just only multi-generational, but also of, you know, different races and ethnicities and religious uh, beliefs. I think if you want to move toward a better world, which I think I would like to, I know I'm not alone in that, then to see the commonalities among all of us, because really we are all human beings underneath all of the other stuff. And we all have similar needs to be cared for, loved, nourished, sheltered, all of those things. Um, and, you know, when you look at it that way, then you realize, you know, that the age, the outside appearance and the ages don't really matter all that much. You know, it just doesn't. We have similar needs. And uh, yeah. And then the needs, especially as women, to role model, because, you know, we're seeing young girls already wanting to do all kinds of facial improvements. And you hear about social media and how that's influenced them. So we have a role to play in addressing our own internal prejudice when we look in the mirror. And I think if we can model that, like I teach people in some of my work, that whole thing from like, good luck to you, Leo Grand, the whole mirroring thing. Like, okay, I am going to stand here and see all of my imperfections and beauty and, and try to focus on what I can smile at and change that practice of how we view ourselves. So that is, is a huge, I think, part of what women need role models for because look what we're dealing with in social media. And I know. And, you know, there just was some chatter, I guess. So uh, Gwyneth Paltrow turned 50. And as she has done in the last few years, she's taken kind of a naked selfie. I mean, just she painted herself in gold and you can't really see anything, but she's naked. And, you know, she has a beautiful body in the classic version of what we appreciate as a beautiful body. I'm not yeah, saying you're exactly. but you have an idea. She's blonde. She's thin, blah, blah, blah. That is evidently a standard that we like in bodies or we think is ideal. And she's got like, you know, some shaming for that. And I'm like, well, you know, 
to look at celebrities as a real life is like looking at, you know, the real housewives or whatever and thinking that's real life. I mean, it's, but also I don't think anyone should be shamed for doing that. If that's how she wants to approach her aging, that's fine. Yeah. I never look like her. I'm never going to look like her. I'm good with that. Um, But I have my body and yes, what, is what do I appreciate? And right now, like I'm fighting some sciatica in my left leg. So I'm not really appreciating my left leg right now, but I'm realizing like, oh, if I had just stretched, like I told myself I was going to stretch, I would feel better about it. But, you know, um, there has to be room under the tent for a wide swath of, of body and beauty. And, and, and I understand that we all, so part of the book talks about our own internalized ageism because we have it, all of us. And I tell a story in the book of going to see a beloved singer-songwriter perform. I'd never seen her, but I have several of her albums, CDs, really dating myself. And uh, not CDs, uh, cassettes, sorry, really dating myself. And um, And I'd never seen her before. And I was close enough to kind of see her and she walked out on stage and she had long, long, long gray hair, clearly no makeup, no face, no Botox that I could see or anything like that. And she was wearing a dress. It was a little snug around her, about her body. And she had a thick um, midsection as menopausal women often get. And my first reaction was, <gasps> she looks matronly. And then I like, you, look, you, look, you said the word matronly. I read this in your book. Yeah, I did. I, I, I matronly, matronly, which is like horrible. That's our internal prejudice. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, so then I was like, oh, Vicky, God, she's an amazing talent. She's an amazing philanthropist and activist. Like she had tables outside for this and that, all her causes. And I'm like, this is where you're going. You're going to that. Now I understand we're like programmed to kind of size up the situation right away. That whole fight or flight. Like, is she going to eat me? I'm like, yeah, first of all, I'm in the balcony. She can't reach me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The first row might be questionable, but no, that's where the brain goes, of course. But then it's like, okay, what do we do with that information after? Like, how do we react? Are we, am I going to continue? And she's a few years younger than I am. And am I going to go, oh, well, I'm aging so much better than she is. Okay. That's not really where we want to go. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, we want to stop comparing ourselves with, with other women and other people. And I know that, yeah, that's just kind of like how we are programmed, but we don't have to, follow that program once we initially acknowledge that's that a reaction. And so we have to do that with ageism, you know, to not go right to some kind of negative, to not go to some kind of stereotype. Um, There was a story recently of, I was a a woman, I guess maybe in her seventies or so, and she was sitting at a cafe somewhere and just by herself having a cup of coffee or tea and some guy presented her with flowers, but he taped the whole thing. You know, he had his phone and it was a bouquet of flowers and every, and then he posted it and it got like a million views and everyone was like, Oh, how sweet giving flowers to the little old lady, right? The little old granny. We First of all, we don't even know if she's a granny. No. The little old is like horrible. Right. And also, she absolutely resented it. She's busy minding her own business, doing her own thing. There is nothing about a woman sitting alone in a cafe that means lonely. At There's any no- age. At any age. Exactly. Yeah. And so she actually resented it. And so what people thought was like, oh, sweet. Oh, so sweet. Little old lady. Given some love. Probably hasn't got love. She was like, don't do that. And I thought, well, good for her because um, that's ageism. You know, it really is. 
And and ageism doesn't just hit older people. I mean, how many stories have we read about millennials killing things? That's ageism, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they killed marriage or golf or avocado toast or whatever. So ageism hits everybody, especially as you get older, because we don't value uh, older people so much. You know, when I first read about um, how retirement came to be, it was just a way to get older people out of the workplace and just give them some money and just go here, go away. And it's the same with like these 55 and older living communities. It's just, you go away. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not going away. Exactly. We need, we, and like we were saying, we need the new modeling and we're hoping to create that together. And I mean, we need a new golden girls. We need to show more about, a, you know, a, 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 not a sex in the city, but a wisdom in the, in life. That is about us really celebrating this jubilant, this time of rejoicing and also exploring our sexuality and also exploring how we decide to be alone or like you said, live apart or decide to be in romantic partnership because romantic partnership look, looks different. And I think you mentioned that in your book as well. You have questions in it that are really wonderful about things to think about at the end of each chapter. And I love that. And so like on the romantic part, do you, how do you believe, I mean, where does the too old to find love come from? And how have you dismantled that? All the time, you're like, am I too old to find love? Because again, the narrative that women especially have heard is that you are too old to find love. But it's like, I mean, just look at how many older women have repartnered. Diane Rehm in her 70s. Helen Fisher, you know, who, you know, the the, the the expert on romantic love uh, got married at uh, I was like she I think she was seventy one and they don't they don't live together <laughs> just like yay so um uh, Cheryl Sandberg in her fifties uh, get gets engaged and and married Gwyneth Paltrow marries again in her late forties Kamala Harris our vice president I guess, I guess the other side of it is that people when they're in their self doubt mode they'll say all these things that you hear statistics of, but there are so few men for you. You know what? First of all, there are women that are exploring at this age, they're said they're, they're, they're bisexual side. Absolutely. And, and, and so that's one thing I was going to ask you about, but romantic love can be, I find romance in the way I find my own new self love as I get older, whether mm -hmm. it's exploring myself with the time I have just to be in my own body and and then I can find the kind of little loving relationships or or even just sexual escapades that I want because I'm open to that, that I don't have to look desperately for this partner to fulfill the rest of my life. And I think our judgment is about that, oh, some you know, the, the really old the old communities down in Florida, they would say, Well, if uh if a, a man dies, you know, there are, there are 10 women putting a brisket in their freezer. So who they, who's going to get that one? If the woman dies, they're gonna, who's going to get that wife, that that husband now? You know, we're so past that. We're just so past that. And our numbers are growing. So the question is still how we can reframe the romantic love connection. And so I still want to ask you about yours and how that's going for you. Yeah, well, um, so uh, I have been, I realized uh, recently that I have been divorced for 19 years and I have lived alone for 19 years. And I've had romantic partners of various lengths. And just a few months ago, started seeing someone and that is going quite lovely. And we agree that we are not going to live together and get married or get married because neither of us need or want that. So there's a new book that's out, but I don't know if you know the podcast, Dating While Gray. It's mm -hmm. Laura Stassi. Mm -hmm. And so she came out with this book. I think it's called Remat Romance Redux and um, about finding love later in life. And uh, she has like real experiences from people. And um, yes, you know, the idea that all the good ones are taken is not really true. We are living much longer. M gray divorces a thing. And that means if the only group that's really divorcing at a higher rate than any other age group is those 50 and older. Because, you know, a woman in her 50s right now, a menopausal woman, is going to live probably another 30, 40 years, maybe more if she's healthy and lucky and so blessed. Like, are those years going to be loveless and sexless and, and, and she's going to be worthless? No, absolutely not. So I do have done online dating. 
which I know every, a lot of people hate. I don't have a lot of expectations because at my age, I don't need anything from exactly. a man. And I'm heterosexual. Um, I don't need anything. I have everything I need as far as a home and my own finances. And I've already had, I'm not popping out babies with anybody. I'm not looking for someone to father my children or anything. And so I just need, uh, I just would like a kind of companionship and a sexual relationship that I can't get from my girlfriends. Whom I yeah, love. I was going to say, we get a lot from our girlfriends. So that's what I wanted I get, to make sure I mentioned. Yes. And, <laughs> and yes, yeah. Yes. And, you know, I did want to have a, I, you know, I have wanted to have a sexual romantic partner, but I also knew that if I could, if I didn't find a, the right one, because I just don't want to be with anybody, then I would be fine. Because, you know, I do have a, a wonderful um, village of, of women and, and some male friends. And I get so much from them. And we travel together. We talk to each other. And when one of us gets sick, we care for each other. Even um, even partnered women often end up alone as they age because we, one, tend to partner with older men who often die before we do. So the reality is most women will partnered or not, will end up being alone in their older years. And so that's why I really do, you know, I do have a, 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 sec, a chapter on friendship and encouraging and nourishing, nourishing um, friendships throughout your life and even building new ones as you age, um, I think is, is very, very important. And you did mention also that, um, you know, a number of Lisa Diamond talked about a uh, women's sexual fluidity. That Absolutely. We, and, and that is something which you find often happens in midlife. Women falling in love and partnering with other women like Glennon Doyle. Right. And like Elizabeth Gilbert for a while fell in love with her, her dear friend, Raina, who just passed away. And, it's not that uncommon. I mean, it's really not. Because a lot of the things that women want is a deep heart connection. Mm -hmm. so you can find this and then also see that you have, we're all on the spectrum, but we've never noticed it. Mm -hmm. It's an opening for us. It is an opening for us. I mean, my daughter, who is queer, always says, I don't know, mom, I don't know what you keep on going out with these men for. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that would you? <laughs> the queers think about that all the time. They're like, really, girl? Just... Just get over those men that you're, <laughs> that you're like working so hard to exactly. try. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I think there's this great book called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. And it's like, um, it's a great title, but also it's, it's, it's very informative. And you realize, okay, yes, for a lot of women, oh man, trying so hard to fit that heterosexual model because that is what we are told we should all the rom-coms, all the everything. So it's pretty interesting. Um, that messaging we shift that we need to shift some of the big media and all the rom-coms to be about all the fluidity in our lives, even as we age. I mean, that is what we hope to be eventually a TV series on the open nesters is that they will see, I, and and we have some things brewing uh, on, oh, on so auditory to different kind of character development of seeing what's real in a new way that we can model. So I am yeah. so hoping that we can break some of these taboos together. You know, you're doing it in your beautiful writing that I really have so enjoyed this book. And, and I, I do want to stay on the friendship thing because I think a lot of women sometimes do have that fear and fear is a factor of growing older alone. And, mm -hmm. and because you've kind of em embraced it as you're on your own now with it as a choice, mm -hmm. I do think that that's an interesting thing to discuss. And I know that could actually be a good discussion towards your next book. So, so the, the fear that may come up around, there aren't enough villages that are created for women to come and have that a sense of, which seems to me to be a no, you know, no brainer that that's what we should be developing in these communities of women that have like a central area and then have their independence as they get much older, even older than us. So how do you address that living apart together? And you're, you're writing a new book about that. So yeah. how you're, how you look at that, how you perceive that. Maybe your listeners, if they haven't heard uh, what living apart together means is that you are a committed uh, romantic relationship and you have all of the joys and 
of fat, you just don't live in the same house uh, or in the same space. Now, I have expanded in my in the book that I'm working on, which I think will come out in 2024, to include people who sleep in separate areas of the house, have their own sleeping areas, bedrooms or whatever, as, you know, the Palace of Versailles was built. There was the King Chambers and the Queen's Chambers. And as the Victorians really promoted because... <gasps> Sleeping together in the same bed, that is so not proper. So <laughs> there's a history of that. Very attractive for the third agers. People who may have been married before, done that traditional thing. It often is very much driven by the women because they don't want to fall into some gendered pattern of caregiving or housekeeping, but also more than that, it's also attractive to, let's say people who have um, younger children at home and they don't want to try to mesh into a Brady bunch kind of situation, or also maybe they can't move to be with their romantic partner because they're co-parenting with their, with the father of their children or the, or the, the other mother of their children and can't move or they don't want to move their children. So it is, I'm not saying better than living together. It is an option. And for a lot of women, especially who really appreciate independence, and especially if they have raised children and now they have their me time, we don't always want to give that up so freely. It's kind of, now it's my time. Sounds selfish, but if you have been caretaking all your life, um, it's not selfish. You are allowed <laughs> to care for yourself. It's, it's self-authoring your life. And that's that's exactly. that's the choice that we have to start making. And that's what I'm hoping people can realize in all areas of their mind, body, emotion, spirit. You know, mm -hmm. what is it that they are in charge of now? So exactly. I love I love how you're bringing that forward in all of your writing. So just to wind down, if there's anything else that you would advise that can come out of the book that is out that people can get, which is, again, called Not Too Old for That and How Women Are Changing the Story of Aging, uh, how they can get the book, how they can reach you, or anything that you'd like to kind of just summarize with that you'd like people to remember about this stage of life. Thank you so much. Um, well, the book is on Amazon, like everything is. However, if you are someone who has an indie bookstore and would like to support them, which I highly encourage, please do go to them and ask. They probably won't have it in stock. Um, my publisher doesn't really have a lot of books in bookstores, so you do have to request it. So I do hope that you do that. And I write a lot on Medium uh, at OMG Chronicles. I'm also on um Twitter and Facebook at OMG Chronicles. Um, pretty easy to find me by just by Googling my name. Unfortunately, I am out there quite a bit. <laughs> You're great um, with your writing out there and you support a lot of people. I, you know, you really see people and you, and you notice them as well, which is why your research has a heart and I really value it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it so much. And I, I, I guess my message really is, and the book is not just for women. i do hope that men read it because I'm sure that there are things in there that they, there are beliefs about women that they have carried with them and that have reacted to. And I, I hope that they might question some of that and also question their own feelings about aging because um, it will bring that up for them. If, it, if For women, I do hope that women do look at the, their potential older self and, and want the best for that woman. To, to question themselves what messages they have internalized, what fears do they have about being a midlife or older woman, and see if those fears are really grounded in truth or are they grounded in stereotypes that benefit everyone else but not them. Like I do want people to go, you know, Who's saying these things? Why are they saying it? Who's benefiting from these ageist, sexist narratives? And who's being harmed by it? And if you have made, as a woman, have made decisions physically, socially, uh, um, sexually, financially, romantically, if you've made some decisions based on this fear 
of being an older woman to question in yourself, what is it that I'm really fearing and what can I really do? Because a lot of the messaging diverts women to get us to think about the loss of our youth and beauty. And, and, and it's not like getting us to focus on our health and our financial health. These are the things that actually really matter as we age. Not We all are going to lose our beauty, no matter how much we started with or not. But we become different versions of ourselves, which are just as beautiful, really. We're just a different version. We are becoming new versions of ourselves. So we should want the best for that new version, all the new versions ahead. Yeah. And to end while you're at it, support other women on their journey too. Yeah. That's what I would what say. A beautiful summary. I mean, that was just magnificent. Really touched me. And I know a lot of people are going to learn from this. So thank you again for your time, Vicki Larson. I really value it. And thank I you. hope to see you again for your next book on the Open Nesters podcast. Thank you so much. That's a lot of great information. Few pearls in this particular interview. Yeah, listening to it again, it reminds me and about the financial health of women, many who live in poverty as they age, and certainly whether they're divorced or widowed. And then it starts really giving me perspective of how I've grown up. I mean, the, right before my generation, literally my mom, they she was pretty good at bookkeeping and accountant counting, but people, they didn't have the depend, the independence that women have nowadays. And I was that in between generation that also had a hippie in me and didn't care about money. So I gave no attention to it and had no relationship to it. And as you know, I've always said, look, I made it into being 30 till I married you. I could take care of myself. But when, when it got bigger, I was like, you can handle it if you want. I don't love it. I'm not good at it. And I did hand it over. That is the honest truth. But, you know, it's hard to believe that those were the trends that, you know, women were actually denied that independence. So I'm really uh, thinking about it. I know that in our family, that's what it is. I handle the money in our family. But just because it's happened by, I guess, by default, uh, you handed it to me and this is what we have done. Uh, for well, we all of our had, life. We each had our things that we're stronger at, and I certainly don't feel incapable, and it's great that Vicky brought this to my attention because uh, we I don't ask you about the investments because I don't, I don't have any interest in them, but I need to do that more. You know, financial is the one element that caused many, many divorce. It is one element that actually costs the couple when they do get divorced a lot of money. And not only that, you know, somebody gets to be all of a sudden, a man or woman has to decide their own financial future because they have not managed it in the past. So it's not really for women. I think that there's some men out there that uh, got divorced and here they are. Uh, <laughs> I'm dating a few of those kind of men. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, that's, that's your deal. I mean, and, 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 and I'm happy that you can notice that. Um, not, to, not to diminish any of the wonderful men that you are dating, uh, for sure. But I just wanted to add that. It's, you know, it's, it's a costly thing to get divorced. And, you know, the, uh, on the other side of it, it's really uh, putting a lot of people, a lot of couples, or the men or the women, in a very compromised way. Well, it's also this year's of cultural conditioning. And I really believe that when we've been programmed a certain way, we, we think that someone else is in charge, just like we blame, we don't good communication. All the things that we need to unlearn and learn again, we have a choice to do that at this stage. I mean, including even about the most un- undiscussed subject. I think we discuss... Um, we discussed having our period menstruating as women much more than menopause. So after I read the Menopause Manifesto by Dr. Jen Gunter, if you haven't read it. I have not read it. I don't think you did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not talk, I'm talking on it. to most women out there who are probably listening to this. It's really undoing years of silence and cultural conditioning because we can make better lives if we really read and understand our bodies and understand how we, what Vicki was saying, where we got our information and how we can choose again to create new pathways. And it's not easy and it's still possible. Well, you're absolutely right. I believe that comparison is the killer of all joy. 
many times when we compare ourselves to others, whether it is the financial, whether it's the looks, uh, the aging, whatever it is, oh, look how she's preserved, or look how he's preserved, they look better, they look here. You know, when we compare ourselves, we're really killing, killing the yeah, joy. It's so true. Because <gasps> we can always be better or worse, and and I mean, so who much we, who we compare we, we, we need to be authentically our best selves in the things that we're strong and it's so kind of funny because you know i as you know i do mindfulness and movement for centenarians and i i because i like the word being i like myself kind of being sexy and cute i'll say oh they're so cute i love these people i love working with them as they get older and what vicky brought up was that you know this this little old lady and she didn't need to be patronized or thought of obviously as little old lady in a cute way and i get on this regular call once a month they do it every week but it's it's an incredible if you're interested in ageism the old school clearinghouse we get on and we talk to people who are fighting ageism all over the world and one of the things is not to call people adorable and you know make them it infantilizes them It's, it's interesting i just it's all things that i've never oh i haven't always thought about so this is all new information to rethink Absolutely, and you know the the advice that we always thought because I try to teach you and show you exactly where our investments are, what are we doing with our money, how we protect, uh, how we proceed. I think that couples need to discuss these things, and women or men, depending on which side they are, if they're managing the finance, really need to be very much involved and have at least an equal knowledge of what's going on with their finances. Amen. I'm going to have to get on that, just like you got on other things that we've learned from this podcast. Thank you. Well, I, I, I'm, it's reinforcing to me that couples really should discuss the finances more often than just once a month reviewing the checkbook. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I hope that you uh, learned something from this podcast the same way we did. Uh, I encourage you to visit our website, theopennesters.com that double N in the middle and S at the end the open nesters and visit our resources page and we have a Facebook page as well right yeah close close Facebook group and we would love your comments and to join our community also on Instagram the open nesters and again you sharing these episodes with people that you think in your life could use to hear them has been our most valuable asset for growth and we thank you so, so much because we've really grown Absolutely. to be a top 10% of, of podcasts. It's a very, very exciting time for us to just really open the doors. And I hope you're opening more doors in our podcast. Hope so. so keep on listening. This is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.